Hi, I'm Mason, and this is Kara, and we're the hosts of Expert Secrets Revealed Conversations in Health and Fitness, also known as the ESR Show, sponsored by Centrax Nutrition. It's a show built around exceptional people and ideas that educate, entertain, and inspire, and super excited about today's guest. Mm -hmm. He is a professional speaker, a former professional soccer player. He's also a radio show host and author of the book, The Athlete Within You, a mental approach to sports and business. And he's built a, a career consulting and guiding elite athletes mm -hmm. that have participated in Super Bowls and World Cup competition and also other world championships. So yeah. very, very excited to have with us today, Mike, Mike Margulis. Mike, welcome. Hey, Mike. Thank you. Hey, it's nice to be here. Absolutely, Mike. Tell us, let's start off with mental toughness. What is mental toughness? Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, mental toughness is the just the word that the words that we're using nowadays to really let people know that if we have grit, if we have a real um, understanding that we can accomplish what we're trying to accomplish, stay focused on what we want to stay focused and do that in a in a calm sense. Um, that's really what mental toughness is. I mean, it, it has to do with persistence. It has to do with perseverance. And it, it certainly has to do with resiliency. Okay. So are there different types of mental toughness? I'm sure when you're working with, am I right about this? When you're working with pros versus, you know, amateur athletes, is there a difference in that, in the mental toughness there that you teach? Well, I teach it the same way. Mm -hmm. Understand that in, in the bulk of my clients, because, you know, the reality is, is that there are more youth athletes than there are professional athletes. Mm -hmm. So I teach the same thing. The youth athletes need a lot of basics where the professional athlete, the elite athlete, they wouldn't have achieved what they've achieved already if it were not, if they weren't mentally tough. Now we're tweaking that toughness, we're tweaking that skill so that they're more consistent in their performance at the highest levels. How would you describe the the basics? And then how would you describe the the higher elite. end levels of it, the elite. Uh -huh. You know, you said that, you know, hey, uh, some of the, for the amateur athletes, they have the basics. Mm -hmm. you know, what are those basics and how, how do people go about developing those? How do you handle stress? How do you talk to yourself? These are the basics. How do you stay focused? How do you use your mind to achieve your goals? So those are all the basics. Now, when we get to elite levels, we might be doing something with some of the techniques that they have either used or heard about before, and now we're just kind of tweaking it and making it very specific to what their needs happen to be. So in the case of the use of imagery or imagery rehearsal, you know, at the highest ends, I'm actually involving them in the, the process planning out the process. And that's not something I do with a 15 year old. So for professional athletes, because I always think about this, I always think about maybe let's just say a pitcher and they're up on the mound. You've got thousands of people booing you, 
right? The opposing team. And you're sitting there and you have to be so mentally tough out there. How is it? I'm, I'm sure that you've dealt with that type of thing before. How do you switch that brain? How do you become um, so mentally strong that you can go out there and do that kind of thing? I mean, it, it is an elite status, right? right? But really, because even the elites need help, obviously, and they keep progressing, right? Right. And keep in mind that everything is that, I mean, use the, the word correctly, it's progressing. It's yeah. a progressive um, state. You know, they've been throwing, if we're using that picture for an example, they've been throwing since they were 10 years old, probably. And there are crazies out in that are watching and screaming at little league kids. <laughs> right. So they've, so they've developed a certain amount of that mental toughness to block that out. It's far easier to block out that um, that that stadium noise than it would be if you've got um, some crazy parent yelling at a 11 year old that they suck. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've seen that. I've I've seen. Um, We've all seen that. Yes, we have. Um, one of the first times I encountered this, I, I saw a uh, uh, this little kid out that was placed out in right field. That you know, he's 11 years old, and he's the the typical kid that sometimes gets put in right field in little league, and a ball is hit all the way to the fence, and he puts up his hand, closes his eyes. And the ball lands in his glove mm -hmm. and he comes running in. He's so proud of himself that he did that. Everybody's ecstatic because they won the game. And out comes this mother and starts beating this kid with her purse because he had cheated him out of his pro career by not allowing the home run. So, oh. you know, kids put up a lot of with a lot of stuff at that early age. So progressively, they've gotten used to hearing and seeing a lot of craziness and so all they hear when they're out on that field is you know this roar but it's not personal it's not specific you know they don't hear the if, if you hear boo you know all of that kind of stuff you're just hearing loud noise i mean it's much worse for them when they if they uh hit the batter or they walk the batter and or give up a home run they come in they got worse to face in their in their manager <laughs> or some of their teammates. Right. So that part's not really as as hard as as people think. But if you don't have the basics, if you don't know how to control your stress, if you don't know how to keep your focus in in the quiet of your own home, how are you ever going to keep it out there? And so that's kind of where we start is we start teaching mindfulness at a very early portion so that they become aware of those thoughts, they become aware of those feelings, and they can deal with them then. What kind of self-talk is most important before competition? Yeah, I saw that when you sent me the kind of a list of questions you want or areas that we we're going to cover. And, you know, I'm in the school of we want to keep our self-talk very, very positive. And that holds true, I think, for the majority of athletes. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't listen to or we don't concern ourselves when things aren't going right. You know, if 
if you had a, you know, like I play golf a little bit and if I have a bad day out on the golf course, you know, I don't just don't say, well, it'll be better next time I come out. I don't need to practice. That's just arrogance. That's this, that's just being stupid. But if you constantly tell yourself that you're not very good, you're going to start to believe that. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the negative, whether it's negative self-talk or it's just things that are going wrong. We have to look at those things and then address them and then take the positive spin on it. So do you have any specific guidance or tips on self-talk before, during, or after competition? Because I, I, I mean, it'd be easy to generalize and just throw it out and say, well, have positive self-talk. But, you know, those are three very distinct and different stages of competition. And I'm curious if you have any insights or specific tips for before, I mean, it, during, or after. I mean, I, I really think that it's, it's, it's more, far more athlete dependent than it is situation dependent in terms of before, during, or after. I mean, when we're coaching, and, and I coached um, sports, I coached soccer um, at the you know high school and premier level uh, for a long, long time. And you know, in coaching, and and sports psychology coaching is is not a lot different. You know, you have to. You know, if you're going to talk to one of your athletes, you're going to give them positive feedback, then you're going to tell them what they did wrong, and then you're going to take a positive spin on it. And I think that's the same way that we talk to ourselves. So if, you know, we're getting ready for competition, we're going to be keep things very positive. We're going to, okay, I've got to address this. I got to make sure I stay sharp because I'm playing against, you know, this really good defensive back. Um, and he got my number last time. And then you're going to take a positive spin on and say, yeah, but I did beat him three times, um, on my, on my out patterns. So, you know, in coaching, and I think as we coach ourselves, we take a positive look, we look at what's not going right. And then we take the positive spin on it during the competition. You know, I really think that. We're, we're staying very positive. Sometimes we do have to kick ourselves in the rear end and say, hey, you're going to look bad if you don't get after this one. Um, but by far what we've seen over the last, um, especially over the last 15, 20 years, is that if we stay on that positive route the majority of the time, that we see better results. And like I said, there are athletes. I worked with a kid. Um, I mean, he was a national champion in wrestling, college wrestling, when I was uh, doing my doctoral work at the University of Virginia. And, you know, he said, don't say anything positive to me. I'll just walk out of class. And I talked to his coach and he said, yeah, he's a weird kid. If you say anything positive, he shuts down. He needs you to tell him he's terrible because he, he wants to utilize that anger in order to take down his opponent. So there are cases like that, but, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere along the line, you've got to keep that positive uh, approach going um, because otherwise you're setting yourself up um, for a different kind of result. Right. So, you know, that's really interesting that, 
you know, some people work that way where you kind of not put them down, right? But you kind of- Antagonize work, maybe. Yeah, maybe antagonize where it pushes them up. And does that go kind of against like, how do you do, what, what have you seen that is so different from kind of what you teach or something that you've had to learn yourself, right? Do you have an example of something like that? Well, I, I think I can address it this way. Um, A lot of the people that I've seen, a lot of the clients have problems, just like I did back in college, mm -hmm. with getting screamed at, getting yelled at, mm -hmm. uh, being told everything you did wrong. And what I do with my clients is I, I remind them that it's the way that your coach or these other people are communicating with you. They wouldn't communicate with you if they didn't want you to be successful. They would just right. ignore you. And so, yes, it may be loud. There may be some kind of punishment involved because that's the way they think. But you have to look at what are they saying to you that is going to make you better. Mm -hmm. And then you leave off the approach that they took in order to get you there. Um, you know, I, I was never very good when I was a player of getting yelled at because I thought at the time that they didn't like me or that, you know, I was just useless. And it wasn't until after I started uh, training in sports psychology that I started to understand that not everybody communicates the best in the best way, mm -hmm. but look for the message that they're sending you and then act in a positive way off that message. So even if the tone is negative, look for what they're saying from the positive aspects of what they're telling you. Are there any rituals or exercises that you recommend for athletes prior to competition? Well, um, one of the things that I think is really important to get out there for people to understand is that, and now I'm into my philosophy of sports psychology, I guess, sports psychology is about the mental skills acquisition that you need to increase your performance, to be the best that you can be. And I say that in a very specific way. I said that there are skills. There are skills just like learning better technique. There, you know, what, uh, what you were talking about earlier before we started, started the, the cast is run faster, have more endurance. That's part of the skill set, being able to, you know, perform whatever skill that you're performing. Those are skills. Skills to require practice in order to get better. Mental skills training is no different than that. Um, you know, um, over the past 40 plus years, I've asked, you know, just about every athlete or every person that I've talked to is... So has anybody ever told you to relax? And 
almost everybody says, you know, as an athlete, they say, absolutely. And then they go, I said, so what do you think about that? And they'll say, well, number one, I didn't know I wasn't relaxed. And number two, how do you want me to do that? Right. Right. And that's where the skill sets come in. So mental coaching, sports psychology is all about teaching them the skills, not just talking about the skills. You know, it drives me crazy when I watch um, shows on television where they bring in a sports psychologist and it's all basically uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in terms of we're going to talk about what your problems are. I mean, I've just, I'm watching. Um, That'd be a whole show for me. Do we get a plug if we mention Ted Lasso and Apple Plus TV? No, probably not. <laughs> sure. uh, but they brought in a sports psychologist into Ted Lasso. And everything is about, okay, let's talk about these kinds of things, these issues that you're having. But nowhere is there in that, are they teaching them to relax? Are they teaching them how to handle their stress? Are they teaching them mindfulness and having them do mindfulness exercises? They might say that. They might say, okay, I want you to go home and relax. Or, you know, I want you to go home and I want you to meditate. But if you don't teach them how to do that, what do you, you know, what are they going to do? Go to Google? Right. Uh, I mean, I would think there was so much involved in that, like breathing exercises, right? I mean, how to really focus. You can say, okay, focus all you want, but, but you have to be trained on how to actually, yeah. Absolutely. I I mean, you know, uh, unless you're doing yoga right now. Now, now don't put down yoga. I'm not not going to put down down, I'm I'm not going (laughs) to, I don't. <laughs> Never mind. But I'm not putting it down. Right. But I know. Here's the point. Yes. In yoga, they teach you how to breathe. Yeah. That's true. Yes. But if I were to ask you right now, okay, I want you to take a deep, relaxing breath on camera. Okay. How are you gonna show me do how do how do you do that? So I would take it in and out through my tummy, like push my stomach out and then push it out through. My mouth. mouth in through right. the nose. Is out that right? Yes. Yeah. And it's yeah. diaphragmatic breathing from below the uh, from below your diaphragm. Right. And, you know, we now have uh, a bunch of different ways of, of breathing that are effective, whether it's a, um, a box breath where you're inhaling, holding, exhaling and holding yes. and you're doing something like that. I mean, there are a lot of different symptoms or s- systems of breath control, but they all stem from belie- breathing below your diaphragm. But when I ask that question to even people who have worked with a psychologist, mm-hmm. they'll breathe and they're breathing up here in their upper chest. And they'll yes, like that. Mm-hmm. And that's putting tension all the way across your chest. And so while it helps a little bit, Mm-hmm. It's not giving them the effect that they're really looking for. And so they just find after a little bit that, okay, I took my deep breaths. It didn't really do anything for me. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I set up with my clients where we're doing a, a, at least a minimum of three to five minutes in first thing in the morning 
where they're working on their breath control. And then we move that into a more mindful thing where they're now paying attention to their thoughts and well. So we, you know, I, I wind that all into there, but we start with learning how to relax. And then we go into deep muscle relaxation so that they can become aware, even if they've got a little tiny twinge in their shoulder, you know, a little bit of tightness. Because right. unless you practiced it, you don't know how to get rid of it. That's right. And it's really something because so I started doing 10 minute yogas in the morning, just 10 minutes because 30 was too much drama for me. Right. Too much time. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do 10 minutes. And they do have this 10 minute thing that just, you know, and it's a different one every single day, like a hundred days. And I thought, I'm just going to do it. And it's amazing what it does for you in the morning. Not only stretch your whole body up, but mentally as well. And it wakes you up and makes you alert. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really good practice to have. I mean, if, if you're just going to do the breath kind of practice that I, that I teach, you know, they're, they're going to do that for five minutes. I have them do it five minutes in the morning and then five minutes after their day is done. Because now it allows you to clear that space between your ears and it allows you to sleep better. And we know, of course, that, yes. you know, of all the components of high, higher performance, you got to get good sleep. And so the best way to do that that I found is clearing the mind before you go to bed, or maybe you're going to clear your mind and then you're going to sit down and, and watch some TV or watch a movie or something like that. But you've gotten rid of what's gone on during the day. And now you're prepared for allowing yourself a comfortable um, rest and revitalization. Hey, you know that you could actually teach these parents in this little league thing how to behave and that'd be a whole whole other business wouldn't it like <laughs> yeah i've um, i've given a lot of talks to parents and the, the problem is is that with a lot of the parents especially the ones that are truly helicopter parents you have a comfortable you know they're the first ones to say yeah this is a really good talk you just gave mm-hmm. i don't need it but I know a lot of other parents that need that's true because the worst offenders are the ones that are so unaware of what they're doing. And so they're the ones that really need to, to understand. And I have a lot, a lot of my clients over the years, because, you know, again, what I do is not psychotherapy. So very often a parent is going to sit there with us. And so I've seen a lot of parents that are, you know, they're, uh, when I lived in Seattle, I had a lot of parents that were Microsoft executives Mm -hmm. and they would be following along. If I'm teaching deep muscle relaxation, they're there sitting in a chair doing it step by step because they know they need it too. Yes. Hey, well, at least the least are aware, right? That's the first thing. Awareness is the first step. And that's what we get through breath control. It's what we get through deep muscle relaxation. It's what we, it's why with teaching mindfulness, most important thing there is to be aware, to learn to become aware of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't be aware of your thoughts, then, you know, when you're saying bad stuff to yourself and you're believing it, 
but you're totally unaware of it. Right. Correct. So I have a question for you. Obviously, you've got a lot of life experience and and I'm curious if there was one piece of advice that you could give to people. Just one piece of advice. What's the most important piece of advice you could give? All right. I, I kind of coined this. Um, I think I coined it or maybe I stole it from somebody. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Um, I don't know anymore. Um, but I tell this to every athlete and for most of them, I have them actually printed up and put it in their bedrooms or somewhere where they're going to see it every day. There's no such thing as failure, only feedback. I like it. And that I think is at least in terms of the self-talk aspects of things, that's the most important thing that somebody can do and understand so you lose a game okay you lost a game what's the feedback what did you get what did you learn from the experience if you if you hit a bad golf shot why did you hit it that that way why did you why did you slice it okay i, I came from outside in all right now i let that go and i'm going to take that positive thought process and at least attempt to do it better. So, but that statement itself, I think, lends itself to people learning how to relax, learning how to deal with their stress and anxiety, and learning how to focus better, because that's mm -hmm. really the whole enchilada. And the big part of it is, is that it really helps your confidence. And confidence is key to everything that we do because if you don't Absolutely. believe you can if you don't believe you can do it you can't well, that takes the pressure off too i, I mean I, I just i literally just thought about what you said mm -hmm. and no such thing as failure only feedback so mm -hmm. if i know that the outcome is positive it's just the degree to which it's positive you know on a i'm getting positive feedback that's a win for me i'm getting positive feedback and a positive outcome that's mm -hmm. even better but right. Those are both positive outcomes that I would look forward to and not be uh, hesitant to engage in. Mm -hmm. So I, I can see how that little shift in mentality applied to kids, to collegiate athletes or to pros would be helpful. It just like, hey, no such thing as failure, only feedback. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to learn from this and get better or I'm going to perform and showcase the skills I've worked very hard to develop. That's a, I, yeah. I appreciate that feed. I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, it really turns out to be key because it keeps your confidence up and you start to understand that, you know, if, if you fall, if you hit a bad shot, if you lose a game, that that's just the event that occurred. It's got nothing to do with you as a human being and that, if you look at it as, okay, what can I do better next time? What can I do better in practice tomorrow? It takes you in that positive direction where you will be more successful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. We appreciate you being on the show today. How can people get in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Oh, I don't do I Come on. Yes, you do. At least tell people where they can get your book. Tell us about your book right. and how they you can get, get it. my book on Amazon. It's called The Athlete Within You. Um, and you can find me 
on my website at um, thementalgame.com. Perfect. And if you want to find me on social media, look for shadowandfire.com, but that's my photography website. I was going to say, now, is that safe? Is that safe for people that go to? (laughs) It's not safer, but you can buy my artwork from from there. Um, You're talented in so many ways. Well, you see the uh, thing over my, what is it, my right shoulder? Yeah. The picture right there? Yeah. That's the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns uh, and a photograph that I took of them. And from that far away, you can't see it, but. It's uh, more of a caricature type of picture. So they can find my artwork there. And um, uh, But the place they can reach me is through my website, which is thementalhyphengame.com. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you. Mike, thanks so much. And I'll check out that photo too when I get on there. And we'd like to also thank everybody for watching. You can check out this podcast and others at esrshow.com. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel because we do have handles, <laughs> social media handles. We'd also like to thank Centrax Nutrition. Um, they are absolutely okay. Tell us your favorite flavor in Centrax. I like the twisted cherry. Always like the twisted cherry. It's awesome. They have 21, over 21 flavors in their nectar. That's the whey protein isolate. They are incredible. Check them out at Centrax.com. It's Thanks like so a, much. it's like it's like I like it because it's like a sports drink. Oh, yeah. It, but like no fat, no gluten. Right. Not like a shape, but like a sports drink. Yes. I know. I love that too. Thanks so much, you guys. Check it out. Centrax.com. Have a great one. We'll see you next time.